Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show, and we are grasping the thorny subject of the technology sector, boom, bust, or bubble. We're gonna look at industry leaders, we're gonna look at monopolies, and we're gonna look at Johnny Come Lately to make sure that you, with your account and your trades, are positioned how to manage risk to get yourself the best return. Plenty of great information in here, looking forward to seeing you on the show. Hey there guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my companion and offsider, Mr. Mitchell Lorenzo. Thank you, Mr. B. Looking rather well-dressed this morning, and the topic of conversation this morning, to jump straight into it, is the almighty technology sector. It's in the mm. news right now, boom, bust, or bubble. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Wherever you look, you can't escape, particularly given the last sort of week or two's trading uh, in the NASDAQ, and it's certainly through most sets of lenses, appears to be that sort of bubble hype. But let's explore that in some detail. Take a look back through the chapters of history and maybe give our followers the ability to discern stocks depending on which category within technology we consider them to be in. Absolutely. I think it's important today to be able to value these stocks as hard as it may be in some way or another so you can steward yourself correctly when mm. you are investing. Before we get into that though, there's something I would like to know about you and your trading career and that is out of the record the history books, mm. the NASDAQ boom and bust. I know you said you mentioned that you mm. traded that sort of 2001, 2002. Yeah, look, it's uh, well, 99, 2000, and then the, the, the pop 2001. And you know, a lot of people are drawing parallels to that. And I do think it's, it is similar, but it's also very different as these things are. And you know, I guess that's the great thing about being able to call on you know, a level of experience in markets that you know, there is a playbook for dealing with this. And we've certainly been through it and made some great money. And, yeah, if I go back to the heady days of 99, 2000, <laughs> um, you know, you, you, the online trading was a new thing at that point in time, if you can even believe that. And uh, yeah, a lot of people were day trading and making a lot of money trading that sector. And it would seem that, um, you can remember companies like Amazon were embryonic back then as well. Um, you know, it was like five, six years old. Um, and the big thing more than anything was that if it had a, a company had any kind of involvement with technology, the valuations went through the roof. And one of the big playbook uh, Copybook plays, and I remember these stocks like it was yesterday, Sirocco and Nexus, SRO and NEX. Um, these were both in the mining sector, and they were pretty much defunct mining stocks. So what they did, they, they sold the shell of the company as an ASX-listed vehicle, stuck a dot-com on the back end of the business, and boom, boom. She went, share price went through the roof. And that was kind of reflective then, I think, of anything related to technology, you know, whatever it was, you were gonna make a lot of money very quickly. And obviously, as history has shown, that market came off just as hard and cost people a lot of money if they didn't understand things like risk management. And uh, where does that compare to today's market? I think it is quite different. Um, you know, it's not just anything that's technology laden is going up because that's simply not true. Um, you know, it has been led by those sort of companies that are really at the vanguard. So it's similar, but it's different. And you know, there will be a pullback. Any company that doesn't have substance or when the tough times come, as we'll explore in a few moments' time, they're the ones that get hit pretty hard, and that's what we'll see, no doubt, in this technology market too. Okay, and just to clarify on this, how do you actually, what, what forms a bubble? Obviously, that NASDAQ boom and bust was a bubble that eventually burst. Mm. How does that form? How does that come about? Well, I guess you look at valuations that are stratospheric. Um, you know, and the typical valuation method that a lot of people use for stock investing is a price earnings ratio. Reality is it doesn't work, especially well in the technology sector, especially for new companies, because they don't have any earnings. So if you took something like Afterpay, for example, on a price earnings basis, it's infinite. It's impossible. Um, yeah, and that share price has had you know, more than its fair share of pain over the last couple of weeks, as we'll, we'll know that explore. Um, so yeah, PEs 
is it the right kind of tool to use for technology? I'd probably suggest not, because you know it's very, very hard to build out you know, the future value of a business. And you know, if you take Amazon as it stands right now, you know, its PE is 122 times earnings, which is you know, off Crazy. the charts when you consider you know, Commonwealth Bank is about 13 times, Pfizer you know, 13, 15 times earnings, something like that. Sure. And this thing is sitting there at 120 times earnings. And you go, well, it must be massively overvalued. And, and not really, no, because Amazon is one of those businesses Again, thanks to the stewardship of uh, Jeff Bezos, yeah, that is on for 20, 30% year on year growth with its business model. So whilst it may appear to the layperson using a very blunt tool of PEs to be chronically overvalued, actually it's pretty reasonable value when you price it to growth. Sure, and I guess you're probably, if you, know, if you are buying tech stocks, you're buying on what the profit potential could be down the track. Mm. It's almost that speculative sort of nature of investing. That's exactly what Afterpay is, given that mm. there's really no earnings at this stage. Absolutely, you could argue the same with Tesla and, and, and many of those companies that are in that sort of space. The sure. earnings haven't supported the value, so why are people prepared to pay so much for those shares? because they're buying a slice of the future, not just in terms of future earnings, but the dominant role that these kind of businesses are gonna play in our economy. Sure, well, speaking of dominant, let's go now to talking about the sort of the three tiers of tech stocks that we've outlined before this broadcast. Mm. The monopolies, the market leaders, and then everyone else. Yeah, I've tried to come up with this matrix to make some sense uh, of what's going on. Makes because, sense. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because you do need some sort of framework in order to analyze. And, and, and you know, you can use fundamentals to an extent, you obviously can't use P's in this space. So category one are what we call, as you say, those big monopolistic plays. And Amazon and Facebook, Facebook would be probably two of the cleanest examples of this. And here you've got businesses which are so massively ingrained in the sector that they're in, they totally dominate it. In the case of Facebook, if there's something that pops up that's got the capacity to be a competitor, boom, it gets bought out and added into the auspices of Facebook. And then Amazon is in much the same sort of space where it's been going on some really strategic acquisitions to block its business out uh, and, and defend itself. And uh, yeah, it's it's been, in, both of those businesses have been incredibly successful. World's biggest retailer and the world's biggest marketing platform, I suppose, slash social media network, slash whatever else you want to have. Absolutely, I mean, these businesses are at the vanguard of what they do, and they are the big boys of the tech sector. Very, very hard for anybody to come in and disrupt them, and sure, you see things like Instagram would be a good example of that in the case of Facebook, where here's something that's pretty cool, captures your attention for 30 seconds, so let's just add that to the portfolio, and that's exactly, <laughs> exactly what Mr. Zuckerberg and the team have done, and who can blame them? Exactly, and I know you speak a lot about Jeff Bezos as a CEO, mm. and also Mark Zuckerberg. Mm. Why do you think they are such good leaders of such large-scale businesses? I think in the case of Jeff Bezos, it's that absolute underlying obsession with customer satisfaction. And you know, in any business, if you obsess about customer satisfaction, the results will then flow through in terms of the dollarization within the business. And that's sure. certainly been one of the major things that's driven Amazon's DNA uh, through uh, through its history. Um, you know, keep happy customers you will get a business that continues to grow. And you know, and these can be small things from delivery, for example. And I mean, there's a lot of controversy in Australia as Amazon wanted its own delivery fleet, uh, so it could extend the Amazon experience to delivery. Uh, and as people that use that service versus Australia Post, the, the service standard is unbelievably different. Australia Post, half the time won't deliver, they'll put a note so you don't have the inconvenience of, <laughs> of having to go to the post office to go and pick up your stuff. Uh, because they can't leave a vehicle or go up to the first floor, whereas Amazon, here is your stuff delivered to the door in your hand. In white gloves, out of a limo. Almost, not quite. I don't know what you've been buying, but that's outside <laughs> of my budget, obviously. Sure, okay, well look, maybe let's tip dial the back then and go to the next rundown, and mm. that is the market leaders. So mm. these are the guys, the businesses, that when we think of streaming, we think Netflix, when we mm. think of rideshare, we think Uber. 
the first mover advantage that yeah. these guys have got. Tell it's, us a little more. Okay, so that, that's, a, that's a subtle distinction. They're not monopolies in the same way that Amazon and Facebook are, uh, but they almost feel like they are because they're the brand that sticks out more than anything. And sure. again, I mean, perfect example being Netflix. And again, I mean, you look at Netflix PE, yeah, it's you know, 80, 90 times earnings. Crazy. Ridiculous. Another 15 million new subscribers. And also now you've got Mexit uh, and Harry and, uh, and Megan are going to be producing. Well, I wonder what they're going to yeah, we're waiting, as well. Yeah, we're all waiting with bated breath to see what that's like. But um, you know, the reality is when you think about streaming services, Netflix is that first company that springs to mind. And sure, there are plenty of others as Stan, Amazon Prime, you know, Apple have got a derivative of it, uh, Disney, Disney Plus. Uh, these companies have all got those services but netflix is the one you think of because it's the preeminent brand in that space and, sure. and it's very very important from an investing perspective that if you're able to invest in those preeminent brands um you know that is probably a lower risk play in what is a relatively high risk sector again if we look at afterpay there's zip and, and, and a variety of others one listed two weeks ago which was labor i think and sure. yeah, every week there's another one coming into the buy now pay later space um, Afterpay is the one that seems to have had the surge. You know, it's had first mover advantage. Um, if we look in rideshare, you know, you've got Lyft, Ola, Uber, which is on an infinite PE as well. It doesn't make any money yet. It's valued at, you know, whatever it's valued at, which is insane when you think about the earnings flow. But then look at the commanding position that it's got, you know, in, in that sort of sector. Now, the reason these identifying those leaders in the sector, I think is so important. And I'll take this back to, you know, my experience in trading the NASDAQ back in the day is always like to think of any kind of investing, and this applies to property as it does with shares, as it does specifically with the tech sector. You drop a pebble in, the, in, a, in a pond, and the ripples are gonna go right the way out. And the last place it's gonna ripple is where it hits the bank. And, and that's also the last place that has the run, and it's also the first place that gets sold off. So from a risk perspective, you know, trading in the sort of murkier waters that are right out on the fringes, May afford a more, uh, you know, may provide a more affordable solution for people that can't afford to buy the likes of Afterpay or Netflix, cheap alternates there. But they're also the first to get hammered as the consumer and the and the investors stick around that sort of first mover primary brand type stock. And that's very very important to note as we get into more choppy times in this. So yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting phenomenon. But that's where the risk perspective comes in. Now, of course, there's also a catch up value out there as well. So yeah, we talk about um, you know uh, lay by that listed. You, the stock is and Zip is another one. They, they've got to catch up to the valuation level in the sector of Afterpay. So they have an incredibly strong surge. Uh, where they claim catch up. And my advice to anyone, if you're investing in that sort of startup space, get that initial surge and then watch out of those positions and get into the sector leader. That way, at least you've got a bit of dough to work with, you're playing with profit over here, but those sector leaders I would always determine to be lower risk. And as you know, the way we teach isn't just about return, it's about focusing on the risk first and then the return. And I think that sort of strategy of, of, of keeping in the middle of the pond where the stone gets dropped, same with property. Sure. Yeah, if you're in inner city, good quality locations, you're gonna be fine. If you bought an investment property in the back of the boondocks. Hoping um, it'll go up. Hoping it'll go up and there's some catch up value. It might well work initially, but they're the first to be vacant and they're the first to drop in value. So all in all is what you're saying is that, say, you know, the buy now, pay later sector was a bubble, in fact, mm. amidst tech. Well, I think it will be too. And do you know why? We, you know, if we think about the dominant forces in the marketplace, and we talked about monopoly companies, Let's talk about PayPal and its decision to move into that buy now and pay later space. Now, you've got Afterpay that's had open field running for, for, for about 18 months or so now, and its share price has been phenomenal. It's gone from you know, $8 uh, in March to, to, to $95 at the end of August, and we've seen you know 20% drop off that over the last couple of weeks. 
But the, the emergence of one of the big guys when they say, okay, that's enough. We're now moving into this sector, which is exactly what PayPal has said. You've got vast resources, incredibly strong brand, massive know-how. That is going to cause damage to that second tier. So a monopoly player moving into a sector can really crush a sector leader. Sure. And so... Okay, so you know, big boys like PayPal with their mm. billions of dollars in cash can come in and just wipe out Afterpay. Where does that leave everyone else? That third tier, you know, companies like ZipPay, Layby, whoever else it may be, just using the example there of the buy now, pay later sector. I'll be like, just like Instagram, I'll be looking to do the sell out to PayPal, but right. it's going to be sold out and crushed out. Sure. So you think if that is a bubble, they'll, they'll be the first one to burst. Mm. Why is that? Just in terms of the shakeout of the investors behind it. Now, these companies are new, they're raising capital, and you've got to have a, a level of growth prospect behind you in order to be able to successfully raise capital. If you don't have earnings, you've got to take the loan from somebody or you dilute your shareholding down, you know, tier one, tier two capital, lots of different things that you can do in that space. Um, if you've got a, a major competitor that's sort of casting a fairly substantial shadow over your business, the prospect of going to the bank saying, hey, just a lazy three billion in the current climate because we see our growth trajectory over here. And meanwhile, you've got sort of PayPal sharpening the knife on the steel over here saying, yeah, I've done things. That becomes pretty pretty hard to then go raise capital. That shakes the tree for investor confidence in the stock and get a bit of a volatility in the share price. You've got a double whammy. The stock market's not giving you the stability you need to raise money if you went for a secondary listing or share split. And when you go to capital markets with the specter of having a threat there, very hard to raise money too. Yeah, it sounds like an interesting predicament that some of these companies can find themselves in. Mm. And I guess that boils down to the next question is if you are thinking about investing in any of these companies, be the first, second or third tier, how the hell do you value them? We spoke <laughs> about PE ratio being pretty much obsolete. Yep. But obviously, there's other methods like discounted cash flows and various other things. Mm. What would be your suggestion? Look, that's, a, that's the perennial question really, isn't it? How do you value a business that doesn't have earnings or cash flow? And it becomes quite hard. You think about you know, Tesla. Uh, as a business has got a bigger market capitalization than Toyota, the world's biggest car manufacturer, yet it manufactures a tiny fraction, you know, less than 5% of what, what Toyota uh, manages to do, and, and Toyota, of course, makes a profit. So when you're looking at these kinds of companies, yeah, Tesla's bigger than General Motors and Ford put together on a market cap basis. That's crazy, isn't it? Um, might be a better car too, but let's leave that for a while to have a listen to. I know we've got clients that have, that have gone and picked them up, actually, and, and they're very, very happy, great car. Um, but the reality uh, comes down to the litmus test that we talked about a number of podcasts ago, and that is, you know, is this company going to be a bigger or smaller part of the future? Is it already overvalued? And probably the best one as a, as a point in time measure for us to talk about right now is actually Zoom. So Zoom, you know, conferencing, you know, and you think about who the predominant person was in video calling last year, you'd probably talk about Skype. Hasn't been for years. Yeah. So, oh, we'll have a Skype. No problem, that's the way to go. Then along comes Zoom from nowhere during COVID and it sort of pops up and it's now the, the business version of Skype, if you will. And don't get me wrong, I mean, there were some issues in the early days of pornography popping up in the middle of a, you know, a, a meeting on there. I mean, that might improve the interest in the meeting or do I don't know. Definitely in mind, but anyway. Yeah. So, you know, that, that, that sort of issue around security was a bit concerned for Zoom and a lot of the naysayers, oh, there you go, that's why you can't trust it. But they fixed those things up. And if you look at the stratospheric growth, 40% um, jump in their share price on the back of their earnings. Their earnings were phenomenal. Quadrupled from quarter to quarter. Wow. So 400% jump in earnings, 40% jump in the share price. People are already going, it's already overvalued. 
Now, of course, you go, well, what's going to happen in the world after COVID? You're going to see all this steam come out of this stock. I don't necessarily believe that's the case. And as a business, as you know, yeah, we're in our studio today. Um, you know, we've invested a lot because we see that as being the primary communications tool going forward, not just Zoom, but those sorts, you know, Webinar Jam or um, you know, GoToWebinar, all these different providers of those things out there. But Zoom is the one that's really jumped well over the top of Skype. They go, it's overvalued, but is it? Because as it becomes increasingly mainstream and some of the features get built out even more, and you go, that's even handier to be able to do this or that or whatever it may be, you can see that the pathway for that business continues to go forward, which comes down, as I say, to that litmus test that we talked of some podcasts ago. And that is, is this business going to be a bigger or smaller part of the future sure. based on the lenses that we're looking through? Now, that's hard because you've got to be able to be objective when you look at stuff. But if you're looking through those lenses and go, look, this is a business that's very, very, very well positioned to continue to capitalize on this growing trend of not face-to-face -face and, and doing things remotely, which is by default going to be the business landscape that we're likely to see for the next six to 12 months. As that then ingrains into how people do business, that returns to, let's go and get a long boozy lunch, we'll actually know I'll zoom you for 10 minutes, we get the same stuff done. Sure. It's going to be very, very interesting. So even though it may seem overvalued, the growth trajectory of that company can be on, just like Amazon, even though it may look massively overvalued, the growth trajectory is there because the business model is right for the future. But can that popularity and that overbought nature of these stocks like Zoom, I mean, up 40% one day is crazy, mm. is that cause for a short-term pullback or in fact a burst of the bubble? Well, we started to see some hints at that last week. We did. Um, and 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 and. and when I think back to the technology collapse uh, that was sort of March 2001, we had this incredible run up in the market, we had the pullback. And don't forget, markets never fall on a straight line. There's always that opportunity to get out, you get the recovery, and down she goes again, which is you know characteristic of virtually any sell-off in market. Sure. Now, in that regard, um, last week we saw some you know big moves. Tesla was down 20%. That was actually due to it not getting into the S&P 500 index, not specifically technology-related. But that whole noise around the NASDAQ, there's rumors that SoftBank in Japan had some big options positions there uh, that had moved the market up and they were realizing some profit. There's talk about day traders buying a lot of call options and the need for the other side, the seller of the course, to be cash covering by buying stock drop. Yeah, there's a lot of talk in, in that space that things are choppy. Um, but it has had such a run up, a little pullback like that is just like somebody shaking the tree, the low lying, easy soft roots just dropping off buckle in for what's coming next, but make sure when you're buckling in for what's coming next, your focus isn't on those companies that are on the fringe of the pond, near the banks where the ripples are going, get into that core, which is the, the, the safer play in what can be a very, very volatile sector. You want to be as close to the lava flow as possible, eh? Really 100%. Maybe there might be shares that are expensive, at least stocks like you know, Apple and Tesla have made on the share split to make them more affordable for people. Indeed. Yeah. Okay. So look, we are coming to the end of the broadcast, Mr. B. So obviously there's a lot to unpack in there in terms of how to value, mm. what these companies are actually worth and which kind of ones to focus on. What would be your final message to our viewers out there? Valuation really hard. That's like playing pin the tail on the donkey and that's coming from price. I mean, it's incredibly difficult to do. So it's a question of reading that sentiment. The sentiment will be driven by the litmus test. The litmus test, well, that's looking at through the lenses of are these companies a bigger part of the future? That's the key thing. And if they are and they're bona fide leaders, either through technology, brand positioning, IP or track record, that's the horse to back in this particular race. That's all the upside. What's our call to action here? All sounds great, loads of upside there. Learn how to manage risk like a ninja. 
And that's the thing that we pride ourselves on more than anything with what we do here at AIE, is to make sure that clients are very, very well schooled in protecting themselves from the downside risk. Stop losses, buying puts, um, not overweighting on positions, and, and, and having that emotional discipline to hit the exit button when things go wrong, not because of how you feel, but because the process is, is determined that. So building a process behind it. So many people, and this is actually, yeah, it's an interesting place to sort of put the ribbon around it. My first clients, when I first started teaching people how to trade way back in 1999, were all in the technology space because that was the go-to market to go and, and be in. And they're all going, don't be the fun police. It's like someone coming to a party and turning the music down just when it started to crank up. And what are you talking about all this risk management for? And you know, it's going, just let it do its thing. But those clients that I was able to school and teach risk management held on to most of their gains from that boom. Joe Bag of Donuts and the punters that were sucked into the like moths to the lamp of this massive unlimited upside are the people that you saw lose an absolute fortune. So learn how to manage risk and learn how to divorce yourself emotionally from your trading, have the right lenses to find the opportunity, but just keep that focus on risk and the return will always follow. And more importantly, Mitch, the return will stay in your bank account. That's great advice. I'm feeling very excited. So to cap off the broadcast, Mr. B, technology sector, is it booming? Is it about to bust or is it a bubble? Okay. Cool. Depends on which of the three groups you're talking about. <laughs> I, think that, I think we're just getting started with some of those big leaders like Amazon, believe it or not, even at the $3,000 a share price, this thing is just getting ready to rumble. The growth pattern is there. And, and that's why it's key to do your stock collection based on the reverse engineering of risk management first. See where the growth is, manage the downside, make sure it's in the middle of the pond, where you go. Boom there. Bust for some of the Johnny Campbell these that are jumping onto the table, but will most certainly for some of those stocks that have had open field running like Afterpay, now the big guys are starting to push into that space and going, yeah, I think we'll take that, thanks. Uh, pretty hard to argue with those sort of guys with the unfathomable amounts of wealth and track record they've got behind them. And, and we'll see a lot of the Johnny Campbell in that sector, particularly payment services, uh, really struggle under the weight of PayPal when they get crunching on this. There you go, you've heard it here first. Thank you very much, Mr. B. Absolute pleasure to get your insight on this and uh, plenty of information out there for our viewers. So thank oh, you. Always a pleasure, mate. Thanks very much for having me on. Appreciate it, Mitch. Boom, bubble, bust. There you go, guys. Make sure you're backing the right horse. Make sure you give us a rating and a review and we'll look forward to hosting you on the show next week.